All right, friends, we are now going to open the scriptures and talk together about what God is saying to the church. This is the portion of the service when we read from the Bible and listen for what God is saying to us. If you're following along at home uh, through Facebook Live, let me invite you to break open a Bible or you can follow along on the screen as I read. We're going to read uh, today from John chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 57 through 63. Now, this is not necessarily a text that we think of as an Advent text per se, but I think you'll see it has everything to do uh, with who this Jesus is that is coming into the world, first on Christmas and second uh, when he comes in his second coming as the king in glory. So listen as I read John chapter 6, verses 57 through 63. Jesus said, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. May God add his blessing to the reading and understanding of his holy word. Have you ever noticed that what Christmas means to you changes as you grow in your faith, changes as you get older? What did Christmas mean to you when you were a kid? And this this is the uh, audience participation portion of the sermon, by the way, so feel free to speak out loud. I know in white church and like uh, Methodism, we don't usually talk very much, Uh, but uh, it's okay. God will not strike you down if you speak up, promise. Um, So what did Christmas mean to you when you were a kid? Say like ages 3 to 10. What was Christmas about? Presents. Presents. Toys. Right. Okay. Time at grandma's. Yes, time at grandma's. I remember going to Grandma Morgan's house. Absolutely. Being out of school. school. Right on. Okay. And how about, yes. Oh, Jesus. Okay, nice. This young lady goes right to the right answer, right at the beginning. I like that. We can just skip right to the right answer. Uh, How about when you were a teenager? When you were a teenager, what did Christmas mean to you? Getting out of school? Sleeping late, right? That's what it was for me. It was like sleeping in for two weeks in a row. row. Um, How about when you became a young adult, 20s, 30s? What's Christmas mean to you at that age? I couldn't hear you. (laughs) Still toys. Okay. Eggnog? Cash. Did did anybody get cash for Christmas gifts? Yeah, okay. Uh Uh-huh, okay. So how about... Parties. Yeah, parties, right? Because you start, you're sort of of age, and now it's legit. I can actually announce I'm going to a party. You don't have to keep it under wraps like when you were a teenager, right? Uh, So how about now? Now that you're in your 40s or 50s or however old you are, what does it mean? Uh, What does Christmas mean to you now? Bills. Yeah, the bills stack up because someone is funding this whole Christmas, right? The parties and the toys and the being off work. Someone's funding that, and so the bills add up. Yeah? Cooking. 
What else? Cookies, family. Yeah, right, right, right. So um, all these things you said and more are things I've experienced. But what I've realized is sort of each stage of my life, what I had experienced previously was good. It was good. But it just somehow wasn't always enough. I left, um, I sort of was left feeling uh, each year when Christmas comes around, feeling like, you know, isn't there something more than this? You ever been sitting there on Christmas Day surrounded by like mountains of wrapping paper that's been ripped off of presents, and you sort of look around and you say to yourself, is, is this all there is, right? That surely there's more. Surely there's more to it than this. Uh, and so, friends, we're going to talk about the more today and that we might actually expect more. Uh, and this is week two of our series. It's called Change the World. And last week we talked about starting with guilt. And this week we are talking about expecting more, about raising our expectations uh, for Christmas, raising our expectations for ourselves, and maybe even raising expectations for what God can do in our lives and in the world. So uh, the Gospel of John records Jesus having this expectation setting conversation with his disciples. You ever had a conversation like that? An expectation setting conversation. Maybe someone had that talk with you, or maybe you had that talk with someone else. Uh, when I did uh, substance abuse treatment, uh, we used to, with the boys, the teenage boys, we used to call that a come to Jesus meeting. Right, like we're going to come to Jesus now. We're going to set things straight. Well, Jesus has a come to Jesus meeting with his disciples, and this is how it starts. He says, "Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me." So Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something. I think he's trying to teach them about who he is, about his identity. And so he says, "Look, uh, I'm from the Father." The Father sends me, I'm coming into the world, and then he invites us to have a similar kind of experience, a similar kind of being in the world. He says, whoever eats me will live because of me. And that sort of unusual phrasing catches us off guard, right? He said, whoever eats me. That's not something we'd normally say to each other. Uh, But then Jesus clarifies in verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. So Jesus is saying, this is the bread. Who's he talking about? Himself, right? He's saying, this is the bread, right? Who has two thumbs and gives his life for the salvation of the world, right? This guy, right? It's Jesus. He's like, it's me. It's me. It's me. I'm the bread of life. And so he's making a distinction between himself as the bread of life and uh, the bread that God gave to their ancestors when they were uh, wandering in the wilderness. How many of you know the story of the manna from heaven? Do you know that story? Israelites wandering in the desert, they get hungry, they complain to God, God, how could you bring us out here just for us to die? And God says, no problem, I'll take care of you. And God sends manna, this fine flaky substance that appears on the ground so they can go and collect it each morning and have enough to eat. And and Jesus is comparing himself now to that manna. So what's, what's the comparison between Jesus, the bread of life, and the manna from heaven that came from the Israelites, okay? So both are from God, right? Uh, both will feed God's people. But what's the big difference? Those who ate the manna, Jesus said, they still died. But if you take on me, you will live forever. You can have eternal life if you eat this bread of heaven that I am giving to you. 
Now, how do the disciples respond? Well, this is interesting. Look at verse 60 and 61. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? And then Jesus said, oh, I'm sorry, I offended you. I take it all back, right? No. (laughs) Jesus doesn't take back the hard teaching, does he? He kind of just leaves it out there just to hang there and let people get uncomfortable. So the disciples were complaining, oh, Jesus, this is hard, man. You're asking us something difficult. This is, you're asking too much. So why were they so scandalized? Why was this such a hard teaching, do you think? Why were they protesting? I think it's because they were protesting their understanding or their preference about who Jesus really is. They had an idea in their head, don't we? Don't we have an idea of who we want God to be and particularly what we want God to do for us? And then sometimes God upsets that notion and and gives us something that we were not expecting. And so maybe Jesus didn't turn out to be the kind of savior that they wanted. Uh, You see, it's pretty clear that the first disciples of Jesus, they wanted an earthly king, right? They did not want a heavenly Messiah. They wanted someone who would come and overthrow the Roman oppressors. These were a people oppressed by the Roman government. And so they are saying, uh, hey, we're excited for this Messiah because he's going to be the one to set us free from the Romans. He's going to raise up an army and we'll be the first to enlist. And then we will fight back with violence, with force. And then they realize, oh, wait. God sent the Prince of Peace, not someone to establish his earthly throne. And so Jesus continues in verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Okay, remember, this one born in a manger on Christmas, this Son of Man, what does that phrase mean, Son of Man? It means a son of mankind, a child of Mary, not only born of heaven, but also born of earth, right? The union between, Jesus, uh, between uh, Mary and the Holy Spirit, it, the fruit of it is Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm going to ascend to where I was before. I came from heaven to earth. I'm going from earth back to heaven to return to sit at the right hand of God the Father, as we say in the creed. And so if the disciples weren't scandalized enough, now Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm not just your buddy, Jesus. I am the one sent from God, and I'm going back to God. And then Jesus continues, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So the flesh is useless. What does that mean? Flesh is useless for what? For giving life, right? Flesh cannot give life to flesh, can it? Only spirit can do that. Or even better, only Jesus's spirit and Jesus's flesh can give life life. Our flesh cannot give life, but Jesus's flesh can give life. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus said in verse 54, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood will have what? Eternal life. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood will have eternal life. Now, what does that mean to eat his flesh and drink his blood? What do you think of? Communion, right? Okay, so he's, he's talking about Holy Communion, that we would eat bread and drink wine in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us, right? Uh, That's a sort of a literal sense. In a more figurative sense, we take him on in faith, right? And we acknowledge what Jesus did for us on the cross is what I needed personally and what we needed corporately to experience salvation, yes. But does it not also mean that we have to participate in Jesus' death and resurrection? Think about 
Where does Jesus give his flesh and his blood? It is on the cross, right? On the hill of Calvary. And so when we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we are participating in his death, which means not only to accept what he's done for us, but to become willing to do that for other people, right? If you're going to follow Jesus, you not only have to agree mentally, cognitively with what he says, you have to become willing to do with your life what he did with his life. And what did he do with his life? He gave it up. He sacrificed it. He allowed himself to die for the life of other people. And so we're then invited to do the same. And we say, this is a difficult teaching. (laughs) Who can accept it, right? We're with the disciples on that. We're like, oh man, that's hard. You're telling me I have to die. I have have to give up my desires, have to give up my preferences, have to set aside my wishes for my life and do what you want me to do, Jesus. Wow, that's that's really hard. You know, maybe we were hoping for the Santa Claus type Jesus, right? You know, the Santa Claus type Jesus, he just comes around once a year, he showers you with all kinds of gifts, he does everything you want him to do, and then he just goes away, and you don't have to think about him for like almost 12 more months until the next year when you got another list of things you'd like Jesus to do for you. But you see, God is not content to be the Santa Claus type Jesus for us. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he's come into our lives to upset and to invade our comfort. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when you really start to follow Jesus, he upsets your comfortableness in your life, and he invades those private spaces that you like to keep hidden from him and from everybody else, and he gets in there and starts to do change in your life. And when he comes, he brings these incredibly high expectations, Think about for a minute the high expectations that are, are, in, are laid on the lives of those who follow after Jesus Christ. You see, friends, the grace of God is free, but it is not cheap, right? The grace of God is free, but it's not cheap because Jesus paid for it with his life, okay? So it's free. It's absolutely free to anyone who would receive it, but it is not cheap because it costs Jesus his whole life. And if you do it right, it will cost you your life. Okay, so think about some of the followers of Jesus that we know who have paid a high price for following after him. Okay, think about what it cost Mary and Joseph to have a baby outside of marriage in a culture where that was not only uh, frowned upon, it was absolutely a cause for you to be outcast from your community. Right, if you think it's challenging now to have a baby outside of marriage, 2,000 years ago, it was almost unbelievably difficult. Think about what James and John gave up. Here comes this rabbi. He's like, hey, come follow me. And so they go to their dad, who is also their boss at work. They're in the family business, and they say, dad, we're leaving. You know, sorry, we love you, but we got to go do this. How do you think the father, the Zebedee, felt? Think he was pretty excited for his sons just to abandon the family and the family business? He was probably really angry, right? He was probably really upset. Think about all the Christian martyrs over the last two millennia who have given their life because of their faith. People in real situations who were faced with death and they were invited. If you renounce your faith, you can live. But if you cling to it, we will kill you right now. And they said, I believe in Jesus. And they died, right? It costs us something to follow Jesus. Now, please understand this, friends. High expectations are not a prerequisite for God's grace. It's not like you live up to this high standard and then God loves you. Not at all. God loves you first. God loves you first, no matter what. God invites you in a relationship. But those who say yes 
This is our grateful response to what God has already done for us, to live up to this high, high standard of faith. Those who live up to the high expectations of following Jesus, they have a certain maturity about them in their life. They have a certain way of being uh, in the world that reminds us of Jesus over and over and over again. Remember, Jesus invites everybody to follow, but not everybody's willing to pay that price, right? So some people say no thanks. And then some say yes to the call. Now, another piece I think is helpful to say here is when we're talking about high expectations, we're not talking about more of the same. Because a lot of times when the pastor gets up and says, hey, we need more, usually what we hear and often what the pastor means is more time in the church building, more church committees, uh, spend more money on this and that, do more of the same. So I want to say not more of the same. Not, I'm not asking you to sit on more committees and do more work for the church. I'm not asking you to expand your to-do list for Jesus. Jesus does not need you to have a longer to-do list. It's long enough already, isn't it? Mine's, long, mine's plenty long, as it is. So what I'm saying instead is uh, less superficiality and more meaning. I'm saying less shallow religion and more depth of faith. I'm talking about less of us and more of Jesus, I'm talking about less focus on ourselves and more impact on our neighbors and people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we tried this last year, right? We found out last year that less is actually more because we spent less on ourselves for Christmas gifts for our kids and our grandkids, and we came with a gift to give for the people of Puerto Rico. And we raised $70,000 thanks to the generosity of these people. And we have impacted many, many lives on the island of Puerto Rico. Because some people said, you know what? I want more. I want something more out of my Christmas. More than just the stuff under the tree. I want to help change someone's life. I want to do for someone what they may not be able to do for themselves. Now this year we are inviting you to do the same to come on Christmas Eve, to bring a generous gift, to spend as much uh, for this Christmas Eve offering as you would spend on your own family for Christmas gifts, and to bring it as an offering and use it to feed hungry people. Friends, Christmas means so much more when we realize the impact that we can have on other people because of what Jesus has already done for us. Think about it for a second from God's perspective. Think about high expectations from God's perspective. Do you suppose that God had high expectations on the first Christmas? You think? What was God's plan? God is going to save the whole world by sending his son. The expectations could not have been higher. This was God's best plan for the salvation of the world. The expectations are as high as they can be. God's trying to say, look, I'm trying to make my love for you as plain, as clear as possible so that you will believe it, so that you will buy into this thing and follow after my son who I am sending into your life and into your world. Now, here's the thing. Over the last two millennia, the church has kind of watered down those expectations, right? And we've traded in a Christmas that is about our Savior and Lord and the transformation of our world, we've traded that in for a Christmas that is about presents and eggnog and toys and let me have some, a few days off work or off school, right? Why would we settle for so little when God wants to give us so much? 
You see, friends, the, the Santa Claus type Jesus who shows up once a year to shower us with gifts and then mostly just leaves us alone, that Jesus just won't do. God will not accept that from us because Jesus is the bread of life. He's, he's the one who gives eternal life. Now, the, the story uh, goes that in verse 66, uh, because of this, meaning Jesus' teaching, because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went with him. Remember how the disciples complained? This is too hard. Some of them, for some, it was so hard, they're like, forget it. I, I can't do this. It's too much. You're asking too much of me. And yet, and yet, some of them stuck around. So look at the dialogue between Jesus and the 12. So Jesus asked the 12, do you also wish to go away? He's like, hey, are you all bailing out? I mean, is, this, is everybody done? And Peter answered, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Right? Finally, the disciples are starting to get it. They're like, look, we've got no one else to go to. You, you're the man. You are the one. You are the one in whom we have life now and forever and ever. And then Peter makes this incredibly stunning confession. It's as if the light bulb goes on in his head and in, in the minds of the other 11 disciples who are closest to Jesus. And it's like they finally catch a glimpse of who he really is. And then Peter says this. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Yes, finally, right? It's like they're finally getting it. Who is Jesus? He's the Holy One. He's the one sent from God that we, our ancestors have been praying for for hundreds and thousands of years. He is the Messiah. He's the one who can save us. Nobody else, only Jesus. He is the Holy One of God. You see, friends, if Jesus is just a prophet, if Jesus is just a good teacher, if Jesus is just a good guy, if he's just sort of the latest version of Santa Claus, then we can only expect so much, right? You can only expect so much from someone who's just a good guy. But if he is the Holy One of God, if he is the long-awaited Messiah, if he is the King of Kings, then we can expect very much from him. And we'll expect him to feed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread. And we'll expect him to feed our souls with his body and his blood. And we'll expect him to forgive our sin by his cross and resurrection. And we will expect him to change the whole world. And how extraordinary that he's inviting us to help. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this day you've made for us and for this opportunity to hear your word once more. God, help us to have high expectations. God, help us to dream big dreams for you and to know that you are coming into the world through the grace of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, who was not content to leave us to ourselves, but came near to us in the form of this baby in Bethlehem. And God, we know that you are sending Jesus once more in his second coming as the king in glory. And so help us to make our hearts ready for that day. In Jesus' name we pray.